Well, good morning to you. Uh, it is genuinely, this is not just the usual patter you get from visiting whatnots. This is perfectly genuine. We are delighted to be here. I, I speak for my wife, and she'll repeat it, improve it tomorrow, uh, this evening. Uh, but I want you to know that we love this church and we love visiting it. In fact, if we were allowed to, we'd love to join it if we were allowed, because we're not allowed to. But um, And HS2 is coming, is it coming anywhere near the new railway line, the high-speed line? Because could you get it diverted to Nottingham? Because then we could commute up. We live in London. Okay. All right. Uh, what do we do? We better pray, haven't we? Yep, okay, ready, steady, go. For, Lord, for what we are about to receive, may you make us truly thankful. Amen. Amen. <laughs> um, I want to talk, if you've got a Bible, I'd love you to grab it and turn to Peter's, the Apostle Peter's first letter, 1 Peter 5. It's, it's a pig to find, so the easiest thing is to go to the maps at the back and the work forward. Uh, or, uh, of course, in your digital device, it's all very much simpler, but you're not to do your emails. Okay? I want to talk about caring for God's church. And how God takes care of, of his church. As Nicky Gumbel, you know, he's the fellow who wrote that a uh, little booklet that was waved around earlier, you know, with the white question mark on it. He said this. He said, the truth is, we all face challenges in life. They come in many forms, misunderstandings, disappointments, doubts, temptations, setbacks, and so on. Success, he says, can even be a test. And there, he goes on, there are is also the suffering, there's sickness, there's bereavement, there's trauma, there's persecution, there's failure, and on and on the list could go. So that's something that we all experience. None of us are exempt from that. But when those sorts of things arise, here's the question. What, as, a, as someone who's part of this church, what should you expect from the church? What are realistic expectations of God's care for his church? Do you see? And the Bible actually has quite a bit to say about it. At one point, the Apostle Paul himself talks about the care of the churches. Is actually the phrase he uses. What's the task of your leaders? What's their role? What's their responsibility? What service are they going to render to you, when, especially when you need it? You know, you're, you're, maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're, you know, you're, you're very new to this church. You've only started hanging around this mob for just a little while and you're still wondering what, you know, what's, what's, what's all going on and how does this work? I, I like, certainly I like the chocolates that come around. I'm not so happy about the money bit, but the chocolates are fine, you know. And the car parking people are very, very kind. But what are the sort of, what are the expectations? What are the characteristics of those who God, God has called to lead? 
So this morning, I want to talk to you. You in this church, this whole church, and at the same time, simultaneously, to the leaders in the church, in this church. Well, mentioning the L word, the leaders, of course, immediately um, requires some sort of clarification on what I'm talking about. Because we see leadership really as a sort of spectrum, of, and a wide spectrum, in fact. It's nothing to do, by the way, with age, or race, or gender, or educational background, cultural background. And, but just for example, you're someone, you're sitting here, you're someone who quite often you spend time with a friend of yours who's recently gone through one of those alpha courses things and found it really helpful. And now they're, they've discovered Jesus on this alpha course and now they're, you know, embarked upon the journey as it were. And they've got lots of questions. So you're, you're helping them and you're attempting to answer the questions. And when you don't know the answer to the questions, you just make them up. And that's fine. That's, we all do the same. It's just bluff. Do you know? Or you're here, sitting here, and you lead a small group in the church. Or you're here and you lead one of the teams, that, one of the many teams that operates in order for us to do what we do on a Sunday. You may be helping to coordinate the team that does the refreshments. You know, provides coffee and donuts and all that sort of stuff. Maybe you're part of the car parking team, you know, and you dress up every Sunday with one of those very flash jackets. It may be you're, um, you're among other things, you're, you're in charge of a department at work. You have a number of people who report to you. You lead a team on a ward or in a workshop. Or in your office. Or you're a parent bringing up children, leading, you bet. You see, so what are the expectations? This is the issue that Peter addresses for us in his first letter. Let me just for a moment hit the pause button before we get on to look at the text. And let me say to you, um, say straight away that Ellen and I spend, have spent quite a lot of time in the last two, if not three, decades traveling around the vineyard in this country and then uh, now, as John mentioned, internationally with the various vineyard families, national families around the world. And I have to say, I shouldn't tell you this, and please don't quote me, but I have to tell you this is an outstanding church. And we absolutely love it. And it has outstanding leaders, quite outstanding leaders. And I'm not just talking about John and Debbie. I'm talking about the whole team of leaders. At least that's our opinion. And I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to flatter you. Um, my beloved wife has a beloved sister who lives on the edge of a mountain in Scotland. So we forgive her that. But uh, for a time, she had a hopelessly unreliable car. It kept on breaking down. And, of course, the family nicknamed it Flattery. Because Flattery never got her anywhere, <laughs> do you see? So I'm not trying to flatter you, but I am telling you the truth. I'm sort of holding up a mirror and saying this is actually, in my opinion, 
I'm not trying to, mm -mm, you know, I'm not trying to, I'm just saying that this is, this is our view. And um, one of the reasons God has blessed this church so wonderfully over the years, uh, and one of the things he's blessed this church with is the quality of the leaders that uh, God has produced here. So if you are new to this church, rest assured you're on safe territory. I, I don't know whether you, you all know, but this past week, John turned uh, hit a landmark birthday. Do you know that? He turned 60 earlier this week. Yeah. So, just wonderful news. Wonderful news. He's getting terribly old, you realize. He really is. Uh, even if he doesn't look it. He manages to bluff his way sufficiently. What you may not know, so you're familiar with John and Debbie and their role in the church here. You, what you may not know, because you know, these things are difficult to discover always, that uh, in the United Kingdom, they, have a, they lead the vineyard rabble in the United the tribe, the family in the UK of 100 and something churches. And increasingly, with some of the other leaders around the world, Internationally, they have influence. God is giving them influence. So, uh, just you, you need to know that because it's helpful context, and I can say it even if they certainly can't, and you may not know. Okay, so here the great apostle addresses the whole issue of relationships. This is in 1 Peter chapter 5 relationship between those who lead in the church and those who are led in the church, okay? To the elders among you, chapter 5, verse 1, to the elders among, among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. Let me, let me just, for a second, don't get fussed by the word elder. It's nothing to do with, you know, the flower that turns into juice, you know, you have with sparkling whatnot. No, no, it's um, a sort of older you know, as John Wimber used to say, you're an elder if you're elding. So, translate it, I mean, it's, it's one of the words used in the New Testament, leader would do fine. Okay? I mean, it's not exact, but it'll do. I appeal to you. So, he, he, to, what, to the elders, in other words, to the leaders, he's writing to a church, incidentally, in what is today Turkey. He's actually writing to a church that's suffered a, quite a lot of suffering and difficulty and opposition. So he says, look, I'm writing to you as one of your, uh, as, a, as I'm writing to the leaders, the elders in the church, and I write as a, and I appeal to you as a fellow elder. So, you know, we're sort of, we're all in the same boat, is what he's saying. A witness of Christ's sufferings and one who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds, he says, be shepherds of God's flock. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. 
And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So here Peter reminds us that we in the church are not only God's family, but in his language we are also God's flock. And I suppose it's true that if the Apostle Paul's favorite metaphor for the church is probably the body of Christ, with its various members, then Peter's favorite metaphor is that of the flock, but talking about the relationship between those who lead and those lead and care for, I should say, as well as those who are led and cared for. And Peter presents us with three characteristics, three things that, three qualities, if you like, that you would expect to see in those who have the responsibility of leadership in the broadest sense. Here's the first characteristics. First, ability to identify with people. So he's talking first about identifying with people. And you'll notice uh, in verse 1, I appeal to you, he says, as a fellow elder. You see, he's identifying with, with them in their sufferings, in their difficulties, in their struggles, and, he's, and also he's celebrating their joys and their triumphs. So he's identifying with them. Because he, where he says, I, I, I appeal to you as a fellow elder, there is an gr enormous graciousness in that the way he puts it, because, of course, Peter was far more than that. He was, for crying out loud, he was an apostle of Jesus. He was the one specially appointed by Jesus as an inspired teacher in the church and a preacher of the gospel and a church planter and a pioneer of this newfangled thing that had started shortly before called the church. So he was a big cheese. However, he's, he doesn't pull rank on people. He doesn't swagger. Well, oh, oh. Do you know, I knew, I knew him personally. You know, you don't get any of that. No, no, he, instead he identifies with them. and says, look, I'm an elder too. Of course, he was present at Jesus' trial and crucifixion. But when he talks here of... Um, a witness of Christ's sufferings, I don't think he's referring to the crucifixion, though he may be, but to the ongoing agonies which Jesus Christ experiences through his body, his church on earth. So here Peter is identifying the people and in effect he's saying, you know about suffering, I, I know, I've heard that you know about suffering. Well, I do the same. We're, as I say, we're all in this together. My life, he says, in effect, it gives an example of the sufferings of Christ. I'm a fellow sufferer. I'm a fellow saint. I'm a fellow elder with you. I understand your situation. And it shape, just as it's shaping you, so it, shape, it is and has shaped me. In the 18th century, there was a wonderful Christian by the name of Jean-Pierre de Cousseau. And he said this, all that happens to me 
becomes bread for nourishment, soap to cleanse me, fire to purify me, and a chisel to carve heavenly features upon me. Don't you love it? That's in effect what Peter is conveying. It must have been enormous encouragement to the people he was writing to to receive this from him. But you see, more than that, what Peter is talking about is the example we said. You know, did you notice the word in verse 3? Not lording it over those, but being examples to the flock. That's a huge part of the role of a leader of in whatever capacity you're leading. Being an example, in other words, behaving and conducting yourself in such a way that people who are around you are saying, I want to be like that. Ah, oh, that's that that gives me a concrete idea of if you behave like that and you react in that situation, that gives me some idea of what it means to walk with Jesus. And maybe I can I can copy it. You know, they say there's no copyright as long as you copy it right. <laughs> Do you see, the, one of the striking things about Peter is that he's not some aloof and distant general, you know, hunkered down in some bomb-proof command center miles away from the front line. No, 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 no. No, he's right there with them, fully involved. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. Identifying with people and secondly, accepting responsibility. As part of this church, you can expect your leaders to accept the responsibility that God has given them. Look at verse 2. Be shepherds, he says, of God's flock that is under your care. And do you notice that phrase, God's flock? The church belongs to God. It is his flock. And that, that, that concept speaks not only of possession, something that belongs to God, but also it, it speaks of um, intimacy and ten, tenderness and value. And he, because he has, in, and he has entrusted this care, this care, this precious commodity, to men and women. I can say ordinary men and women like you and me. Very, very, very precious to God. Uh, centuries ago, there was a man called Bernard of Clairvaux, and he he said this is interesting. He said. Suppose you had a vessel, cup or glass, with some of the blood of that Christ shed on the cross in it. He said, "Oh, how carefully you carry it! Ought not I, therefore?" He goes on, ought not I to be careful for, of those souls for whom that blood was shed 
It's a, it's a powerful argument. And it was for us, it was for the church that Jesus shed his blood. So by definition, it is something that is very, very precious to the Lord. Be shepherds, he said. That's your responsibility. So that means defending from the predators of error. That means training and equipping. That means carrying the young. That means caring for the sick, healing the sick and the suffering. That means seeking out and finding those who are lost and wandering and have, you know, been just in trouble or in difficulty. A shepherd, you see, must be a warrior and a physician, a dietitian and a midwife, a schoolteacher and a security guard. All those six elements are bound up in, in Peter's concept of leadership. And all these tasks would be burdensome enough if the flock were his own. But when he's put in charge, when the leader's put in charge of God's flock, the responsibility is awesome and wonderful. Identifying with people, accepting responsibility. And third thing you can anticipate from your leaders is pursuing right motives. Pursuing right motives. And this, of course, is something that is, by def- almost by definition, internal, not external. And Peter drills down and articulates three motives. He says, first of all, we do this because you want to rather than you have to. In verse 2, he says, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to. So he said, in effect, he's saying there's to be no, what, what some people call the hardening of the arteries. You know, I ought to do this and I ought to do that. No, no GMO. Do you know what GMO is? Ghastly moral obligation. No GMO. No, um, no external pressure exerted on you. No arm twisting. No sense of being trapped in it. If you feel any of those things, get out. Do you see, God loves, by contrast, he says, uh, because you want to. God loves uh, cheerfulness and willingness that comes, springs from our hearts. So you want to rather than you have to. Second thing, second motive, he says, is to give rather than to get. This is in uh, verse 2. He says, not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Now, I'm not aware that any of you who lead any teams here, you know, are, are accumulating vast sums in your bank account as a result of it. I'm certainly not. My pay is out of this world. (laughs) But you see, I think you could take this a little more broadly, because I think what Peter's getting at is, um, he says, not greedy for mine, but eager to say, I want you, he says, I want you to love this 
thing that you do, not for what you can get out of it, but for what you can put into it, what you can give to it. Not to give rather than to get. It may not be money you're getting, but it, you may be tempted to think, well, maybe popularity or acclaim or strokes. You know, I feel better now because I've served you ostentatiously. No, no, he's not saying that. He says you're there to give, to give. And thirdly, he says in verse 3, not, to, he says uh, in verse 3, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. <laughs> what he's saying is your job is to lead rather than to control. Now, in any sphere you've been in, and of course these principles you understand, don't you? These principles work just as well in the workplace as they do in the church. Because it's, it's the Holy Spirit who wrote this stuff anyhow. And God understands how people work. And in all spheres of life, these, these concepts, these characteristics, are so, so, so helpful. So here he's saying in your, in your leadership, don't, don't be a little tin pot dictator in your office or on your hospital ward or wherever it is you do your student union, whatever it is you do your thing. No, 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 he says, be an example, be a model, be a prototype. You set an example and look for people to follow you. So if you want to... If you want people to turn up on time and set out a room before a meeting, for example, then you turn up on time. And you serve humbly. Watch what happens. If you want this to be a church where money is given generously for God's work, well, then you give money generously. If you want, to, if you want people to speak kindly about you behind your back, Hmm? You know, there's one worse thing than people speaking about you unkindly behind your back. Do you know what that is? People not speaking about you at all behind your back. No, I'm joking. My point is this. You speak kindly about people behind their backs and watch what happens. If you want, if you want to have strong marriages, then you develop a strong marriage. I'd say you go on with the list, you see. Be an example, be a prototype. So people can look at that and see you as an example and say, wow, maybe I could do that. That's how it works. And you can't do this simply with gifting. You have to do it with godly character. Often in the vineyard, you'll hear us talking about gifting on the one hand and charactering on the other, and that's exactly how it works. You, you really, if you just vote for gifting and land there and not character, you end up in trouble, believe me. So where does, where does Peter land with all this? Well, what is his final flourish, you ask? Nothing less than, look at verse, look at verse 4. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive 
the crown of glory that will never fade away. In other words, he's saying, off into the future, there is a reward. You may not be very conscious of it. You may not feel it at the moment. It may not be very precisely shaped in your mind. But believe you me, Peter says, off in the future, there is a reward. It's worth it. You know, here you are from the, in the second service. Some of your noble and valiant fellow members of this church, maybe some of you, got up at some unearthly hour this morning, came to the first service and were serving. Maybe some of you did that, and then you stayed on. But you've been in a room full of screaming two-year-olds, three, maybe three-year-olds, all morning. Do you know, and you're now a little bit frazzled. You couldn't get to the coffee quick enough. Wishing probably there was something a little stronger. And thinking to yourself, why do I do this? Do you know these screaming children? Isn't there some sort of medication we could give them? A drip, maybe? A Ritalin or something? Ah. Listening to the Apostle Peter now, ah, now I remember why I do this. Because God himself promises me when Jesus, the chief shepherd, that means in the, in the original language, the arch. You know, we have archbishops, sort of, you know, top of the pile, the grand kahuna. Well, that's what he means here, the big, the, the shepherd, the, the Jesus, the great arch shepherd. When he comes, you will receive a crown of glory. And nobody knows exactly what that means, but it's pretty good news, by the way. It's, it's a good thing to receive. It really is. Next time you're at Tower of London, take a look at the crowns there, and you get some idea. Do you see? It's something that's immensely valuable and full of prestige and glory and so on and so forth. And that's what's promised to us. That's what makes it all worth it. And you can, you can take that and soak it in and let it apply to every area of your life, wherever it is you serve. Thank you.